not even a real country anyway. Hey everyone, welcome to the Fire and Ice podcast, the official podcast of FireandIceSoccer.com. This is Ryan Voiles, and joining me as always is friend, colleague, and fellow Chicago Fire fan, Jeff Engelhart. Jeff, how are you doing this fine Monday night? Doing pretty well. Things are going, uh, you know, smooth and nothing too crazy this last week. How about you? I'm doing all right. Though I feel like you shouldn't be lying to our listeners here. Right before we hit play, the wee baby was starting to scream his little head off. So I wouldn't say something was quiet on your end, as you're saying. Well, that was actually the older of the two children. That was Avery. And yeah, she just likes to give a little... Uh, a little cry before she goes to bed, get it out of her system, but no big deal. It was nice and quick. You're, you're overblowing it. That lasted all of about 15 seconds. As someone who has no children, anytime a baby screams, it is a big deal to me, and I don't know how to react to it. She's two years old, by the way. She's like a full-grown adult. She's no baby. The wee baby Avery, and I'm going to keep calling her that until she's, <laughs> until she's 18. Until she's old enough to drive or smoke up. I guess that's, <laughs> I guess that's fair enough. Well, Jeff, I guess we shouldn't diddle-daddle too much. As much as our listeners probably love hearing about our personal lives, I think they're all here to listen to us talk about the Chicago Fire. And the Fire, we talked about numerous times on the last podcast. They started this crucial three-game road trip, and it did not start the way they probably would have been hoping. They went up to America's Hat to play Toronto FC, and they lead with a 3-1 loss. And overall, Jeff, um, there was a lot of good vibes going to this game. Fire worked really good at home. But I think they just ran into a Toronto team that there's a reason that they're defending Eastern Conference champions. And the Fire learned when you come to the King, you best not miss. Yeah, that's pretty much right. I think you predicted them to win, and I predicted a draw. So we were both feeling pretty good about it going in. But um, they are there is a reason why they are the defending Eastern Conference champions. And even though they've got off to a slow start, they really haven't lost many, if anybody, off that team. So uh, you just have to sort of put their slow start aside and know that at any given moment they're capable of greatness. And they – they played great on Friday um, in front of their home crowd, so I really think there's no shame in losing. The only somewhat disappointing thing was Toronto really controlled the pace and the tempo of the game pretty much from whistle to whistle. Uh, even though Chicago had possession advantage, uh, it seemed like Toronto was happy to let them possess the ball when there was so much stagnant passing in possession. So it was really Toronto's game from the beginning to the end. It was a pretty thorough performance, and I guess that's where you could say it was a bit disappointing, but as far as losing to them on the road, I don't think uh, you really need to panic yet. It was the first road game for Bastion Schweinsteiger. It was the first road game in a while, so hopefully they will have a good response, but I'm not too panicked by the result. How about you? It's not the biggest surprise. It's disappointing, yes. That's not something you shouldn't have seen coming. Um, you said earlier I predicted a Chicago victory. If I remember correctly, I had originally predicted it as a draw, and you, with your uh, boundless amounts of optimism, talked me up into thinking that would be a win for the fire. I couldn't so, have been that optimistic, though, because I myself predicted a draw, so you just mis- you misinterpreted what I was saying, apparently. Oh, uh, maybe – your words were saying draw, but the tone of your voice, the look in your eye, 
as you talked, told me you really saw a Chicago Fire victory. I did have a glimmer in my eye. That's true. I mean, what our listeners don't know is that we record these podcasts through video chat, and I can always see the glimmer in Jeff's eye when he talks about the fire, and it really is a touching sight to see. But no, going back to the game, like I said, I, the Toronto struggled earlier so far this season, but I think the match just kind of showed how good this Toronto can, team can be when all their parts are clicking at once. And when Toronto is doing that well, when any team is doing as well as they do, has the talent that they have, it's going to be damn hard to beat them unless you have equal talent. And I think going into the season up to now, we, we can all agree that the fire talent-wise weren't exactly at Toronto's level. And I feel this match really showed it. And you talked about the fire did control possession for a good amount of the game, but it never really seemed to threaten Toronto all that much. Um, Toronto did a really good job crowding the midfield and really preventing the fire from getting any meaningful uh, possession, the attacking third. Um, and when Toronto had the ball, they did their best to go up the right side. As um, I think we've all, every one of our listeners is aware, when you attack the right side, you're going against Michael Harrington. So Toronto game plan very well. And, and that, at the end of the day, Toronto had 18 shot attempts. And as soon as Giovinco scored in the 28th minute, I think it kind of just threw the Chicago Fire out of whatever game plan they had and didn't work for them. Yeah, that shot attempt number was staggering because when you look at it, Giovinco on his own had more shot attempts than the whole entire fire team. So um, they were definitely pouring on the chances, even though they didn't have as much possession as Chicago. But it's a good point about the midfield. Obviously, that's the fire strength with Juninho and Dax and Bastian Schweinsteiger. And I, I don't want to say that the three had a bad game, but they underperformed from what we have seen. But again, um, you know, players are getting paid salaries on both sides. So I think you have to tip your hat, especially to, to Greg Bandy to make that call to start Marky Delgado. He really seemed to uh, raise the level of Michael Bradley almost. I think having that extra defensive presence helped settle down that Toronto midfield and they, that really helped them control things. And I thought Bradley and Delgado paired up to, to be a good combination. And it allowed both Victor Vasquez and Giovinco to have probably their best game of the year for both of them. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with the decision to start Delgado um, as opposed to someone like Armando Cooper or Jonathan Osorio, who's a little more offensive-minded. So um, you got to give credit where it's due. But you touched on it that, uh, you know, things really kind of seemed to just go downhill once Giovinco scored that first goal, which uh, did come on the right side, and, and it was a nice goal. And uh, it was one that Baba, Jorge Baba may have been able to get to. Um, it, it was kind of close. And I don't know, Baba had an up-and-down game, three goals. Uh, what did you think about his performance? I don't think Baba did anything to reassure us Fire fans who have been real concerned about the goalkeeping. Again, as you said, Baba showed well in a few plays. He ended up having six saves. Whether or not they were actually good saves, I'll leave that up to you. I can't say I found any of them particularly memorable. Um, I thought, once again, his reaction speed was just 
he always seems like he's a tick or two behind on a lot of chances. And it really seemed like on, um, you know, especially on Toronto's first goal, I thought Baba just was too slow to react on that. And his district, like I said, he just looks so tentative in the box. And it's just something that the fire need to look at Baba and think about whether this is a goalkeeper that you can have for a team that has playoff aspirations. I don't know. Am I being a little too hard on Baba? No, the question's definitely fair. I, I didn't leave that game feeling very impressed. Um, I will say there's one guilty pleasure I do love about Baba, though, and it's his decision to always seem to – he makes one run out of the box. That just seems crazy. We, Of course, you, you, you must remember the Atlanta one where he ran pretty much out of bounds to get to a ball, which was amazing. And then even against Toronto, he ran out of the box, you know, 22 yards off his line or something like that. To, to just boot a ball downfield, which, again, just unnecessarily risky. But, uh, you know, it, that's YOLO Bava, and I can, I can get behind YOLO Bava. At least that's kind of entertaining. But in a, on a serious note, yeah, he's not – he hasn't shown much. And I thought that both the first goal and you could even say the second goal, um, like you said, he's, he's either a little slow to react. Maybe he's not even positioned correctly before the shot's taken. Uh, he just leaves a, a decent amount to be desired. So I, I do think that's becoming a growing concern. We all knew it was a concern coming in, and, and he's starting to prove why. So I, I am a little more worried about that position now than I was three weeks ago. And not to, let's, we, again, we don't like to be overly pessimistic on the show, so I do want to highlight one positive thing I thought in the game, and that's um, David Akam. Once again, I thought coming off the bench, he looked like the quite uh, difference maker on the offensive side. Um, he was uh, the lone goal scorer for the team, and I really and at that point the game was out of reach. But he looked like he's he's getting at the point if the hip is healthy that he needs to be in the starting eleven. Yeah, I was going to say interesting interesting situation happening. Um, at least for my money, they keep saying his hip is hurt, which. You know, I'm going to take them for their word. I'm sure there's probably some nagging issue with it, but both times they've brought him on, he's looked fast and he's looked sharp. I mean, they brought him on two weeks ago. He immediately got an assist. They brought him on this week. He played 30 minutes and he got a goal. So the production per minute is through the roof right now with him, and he's looking sharp. And um, it was a good goal on Saturday. I don't think Toronto was playing pedal to the metal because they kind of knew they had it in the bag, but still um, I agree with you. I, I think he's got to get back in the lineup. I know they like Michael DeLeu and I know that uh, Luis uh, Solignac has had two good outings now, um, but you got to get a comeback in there. Now let's put on our tinfoil hats here for a second. It sounds like you're going a little Alex Jones on us. You have, you have some conspiracy going on. Maybe I, Tom's hips not. No, I mean, because it doesn't do um, any service to, to bench Akam either way. Uh, let's say that Akam isn't uh, Velchko Panovic's favorite player. You know, maybe he just doesn't think like Akam is the perfect fit for the kind of system he wants to play, where it's maybe a little more possession-oriented and not built so much on counterattacks. I can, I can understand that. But even still, you've got to have Akam out on the field if you want to sell him in the summer. 
or uh, so it just doesn't make sense. Either way, I think it benefits them to have him on the field, whether it's because you think he's great and you want to win that game or because you're trying to showcase him for other teams in order to make a sale. So uh, I'm not saying it's conspiracy level, but I'm also not convinced that a com really fits into the style of play moving forward, but that could just be jumping to conclusions. I don't know. I feel like this team needs to find a way if Akam is healthy to make him fit into that starting 11. Cause I think this, t- this is a better fire team when Akam is on the field using his pace, the push defenders and really set, you know, set up some other players. Um, his ball awareness could use a little work as could his consistency, but a good Akam makes a good fire team. I, I agree with you, uh, but you touched on the two things that I think, again, we've, we've noted it's probably the minority of the fan base, but the, that section of the fan base is definitely out there that says the comm really doesn't help this style of play because I think what we've seen is uh, the Chicago Fire do want to be a possession-oriented team and want to work the ball through the middle of the field. Uh, and a comm, a lot of times, will get the ball and he doesn't always make the best decision with his passing, or he won't pass when he should. And that, that does frustrate a certain section of the fandom. But I'm not one of those people. I don't think you're one of those people. I think we both agree that Akam has speed you cannot teach, and he brings a dynamic to the team that you can't find with anybody else. So I agree that he should be out there. I think he does make the team better even if he's not the perfect fit, uh, you still have to make an athlete like that with the kind of potential he has when it comes to playmaking. Uh, you have to get him on the field. So for my money, you play a calm, and for my money, he makes the team better. But uh, it is interesting because if there's a section of the fandom out there thinking that way, it's possible that there's you know, part of the coaching staff or, or whatever that feels that way too. Kind of switching gears a little bit here. The Fire are going to continue their road trip next week and <clears throat> things aren't going to be getting any easier for them because they're going to be heading off to New York or Jersey, however you want to put it. They're going to be facing the New York Red Bulls and the Red Bulls currently third in the Eastern Conference. Coming off a two-game winning streak, they beat D.C. at D.C. And then last week they beat – the former top C in the Eastern Conference, Columbus Crew, 2 nothing at Columbus. So the Fire are hitting a Red Bulls team that already looked pretty good on paper and it seems to also be getting hot at the right time. So that looks like it's going to be an easy matchup. No, and I remember when we were first previewing this kind of three-game road trip and the Fire were nearing the end of the three-game homestand or, or just finished, we were talking about how all three teams they were about to face were sort of off form. They weren't in their best, um, playing to their best ability. You know, the, it looks like New York had a string there where they lost three out of four games and the other one was a draw. So they weren't playing very well, but they have two wins in a row right now. As you said, both are two nothing wins. They're at home and it is going to be tough. With all that said, I really am looking forward to this game. And I was going to, earlier I was thinking about it, like, ah, this might be the game I'm most looking forward to in this whole season. And normally, normally, obviously, the game I should have been looking forward to the most was the Schweinsteiger debut, but I was in the hospital then, so I didn't really 
have the same excitement level as everybody else I knew I wasn't going to be able to see alive. This one really, uh, I'm excited for. I honestly think we're going to see something special out of Dax McCarty. And I honestly think Chicago's going to win this game despite taking that loss on the road and, and despite New York being hot. Um, I think we're in for something special on on Saturday. I don't know if it's going to be that that's the last special game in New York, which was the uh, Harry Shippatrick, of course. Uh, that game's still one of the best uh, in recent years, but it's going to be good, I think. It'll definitely be interesting to watch. And when we were doing our predictions before the road trip, this was a game I had circled as a loss for the fire. And if you look at the Red Bulls, they've turned uh, Red Bull Arena into basically a fortress. Them, they haven't lost yet this year in four games. And going back to last year, they haven't lost in 18 matches at Red Bull Arena. So it's going to be difficult for the fire to go into this place. Um, they, like I said, the Red Bulls, it's interesting because outside of Brad Wright Phillips, this is a lot of youngsters on this team. You have a um, you know, really good play from the youngsters like Alex Mule, Daniel Royer. And um, they're just beating teams um, with a really well-rounded attack. And it's just going to be I, – I see a similar game to the Toronto game. I just – on paper, this is going to be a typical Red Bulls team to beat and break down. Absolutely. I mean, I'm probably too overconfident and, and putting way too much stock into the whole emotional aspect of it, but all good things come to an end. So even though they have that nice streak going, it has to come to an end sometime. But you mentioned what I was going to mention, which is this isn't a team of superstars making noise. Uh, Alex Mules played really well, and especially, in my mind, Daniel Royer, uh, he's had a great season, and he's been a difference maker for that team. Uh, Obviously, Bradley Wright Phillips, right? One of the top three strikers in the league. I don't know. what. How many people do you put ahead of Bradley Wright Phillips? De- David Villa, maybe that. I think that's about it, probably, at this point. So, being any kind of Mount Rushmore of MLS strikers, but go on. <laughs> well, Phillips is up there, and, and he's still playing well. So, it, it is going to be tough. I just think the Dax effect is, is going to be huge. And I know they got Sean Davis out there and some other good young midfielders, but uh, I, I honestly see a fire victory on Saturday. And I think, I think everyone uh, is going to just have a good performance. I think everyone's going to up their game because they know how much this means to Dax. I think there's going to be a weird vibe on the field from the Red Bulls players who know Dak so well and, and going against them. And I think it's just going to work in the fire's favor. I, I honestly think they get the win. It seems like you're basing a lot of your... Right. It's not in logic. It's not, it's not sabermetrics. It's not statistics. I have no statistical reason to believe the fire will get a win. Uh, I will say that. Like I said, it's all about the grit. It's all about the hustle on the field. You need 11 field generals on the field. Give it 110%. That's kind of what you look for in this fire team. Right. I am putting my faith in every old sports cliche about grit and emotion and momentum and whatever else you want to throw out there that really doesn't exist. Uh, I'm all in on believing it exists come this weekend. I don't know why. Uh, Usually I'm not like that, but I, I do feel it for this game.
All right, you think I'm a nerd then? You think I'm a nerd for using the numbers and the saber metrics? You know, you you yeah, you nerds who've never played the game. What do you know? Not like I I have either. But uh, on, me and Nate Silver are calling this stuff right now. We know <laughs> what's going on. And you can take your lunch pail, you know, your first one in, last one out kind of mentality, and shove it back in the 19th century where it belongs, old man. <laughs> There's something to be said for grit, and that's what the team is going to bring on Saturday. They'll get the win. Okay. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on that game, and I'm sure we'll be bantering about it once it's over. Other than the Toronto match, there wasn't too much going on fire-wise off the field, though I know you and I both kind of want to at least touch on um, the news that came out of Arizona this week. with. Um, everyone's favorite former Chicago Fires head coach, Frank Gallup, resigning from their USL side. And Jeff, what did you make of the news? Yeah, um, I did send out a tweet about how Didier Drogba should be working on a memoir called How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, When Your Coach Gets Your Man But You Don't Want to Be Your Coach's Man. That's what he should title it. Um, Because Gallup seems to be going for Drogba, you know, for a few years now. And he finally gets them, and I'm assuming Drogbo is like, uh, hell no, I'm not going to play for you. And, and they fired him. And then we saw Jurgen Klinsmann walk into the room. Or he resigned. I'm sorry. He needs to spend time with family, I believe. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he left because of the weather. Uh, he made the joke last year um, that he wasn't sure if he wanted to keep coaching his hot weather. And sure enough, the other day that it was over 100 degrees during one of their matches, and as a wise person once said, Phoenix should not exist. It is a monument to man's arrogance. True, true. So, yeah, it was an interesting development. And the fact that Jurgen Klinsmann is just kind of lurking around, being all <laughs> stalkerish there, is, uh, is interesting. So, and I, I kind of hope they do hire him just because of the, the sweet irony it would be if he did become an MLS coach, because I'd have to assume that's the hand they're trying to play here, is uh, becoming an MLS team with all these big-name signings. Oh, what would be even more delicious is if he does take a head coaching job soon, very likely he'll have to coach in USL. So he's going to be one step down from MLS coaching. <laughs> right, or two if you want to be – well, I guess they're Division Two now, but they'll always be Division Three in my heart. I'm assuming that Jurgen's first signing would be his kid to play goalie. But and if he does sign the kid, I don't. We may mention on the podcast. Probably not though, because I don't know any Chicago Fire fans who really care about Jurgen Klinsmann signing his kid for an Arizona minor league team. Well, oh, sorry, minor league is harsh. A USL side. Please don't get up on me or tweet me for saying that. I like USL sides enough to where I wish the fire had one, but we, we already know about that. So, Oh, yeah. That's a, that a topic we've touched on in the past and we'll probably touch on in the future as well. But if they ever do get a USL side, and prayers up that they actually do someday, I'm sure we'll be talking about it here on the Fire and Ice podcast. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcast at. It really helps us out a lot. Let's us know how you guys are feeling. Be sure to read our stuff on fireandicesoccer.com or follow us on Twitter at fireandicesoccer. Join me as always with Jeff Engelhart. This is Ryan Boyles, and go fire. I'm in a New York state of mind.
It was so easy living day by day.